You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Are you ready for the message this morning, church? Me too. Praise God for an active church, though. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, we are continuing our series titled Health. Would you say it with me? One, two, three, health. Today we're talking about the health of your heart. What I'm referring to is what scripture is referring to. It's that your heart is your innermost being. Your heart is what motivates you to pursue different things in life. Your heart is where your desires are and your desires compel you to make various decisions throughout life. What we're talking about is your heart, which causes you to have certain emotions at certain times. Your heart as in what you feel and what you pursue when no one else is looking. Your heart as in the real you. Amen? We can, the reality is, is that we can disguise so many things about ourselves, but something that you cannot disguise between you and God is your heart. Your heart. Your heart, your innermost being, which shapes what you do, what you think, how you feel. And this morning, I want to talk to you about heart health because of how it impacts your social, emotional, spiritual, and even physical health. I want to have a conversation about your heart. I want to talk to you about heart health because it's the place where real change has to happen in, or, in, in order to experience real transformation. I want to say that again. Real change has to happen in your heart in order to experience real transformation. Change in the heart is the difference between transformation and behavioral modification. You and I can change our behaviors. That's easy. Anybody can do that. As a matter of fact, popular religion will push behavioral, behavioral change. But what we believe in is heart transformation. It has to happen on your innermost being in order to say, with 100% honesty, I have experienced real change. Why does the heart matter? Because the heart is where change has to happen and in order to experience real transformation. That's why we invite Jesus where? Into our hearts. Because it's this understanding that whenever we ask the question as a church, did you accept Jesus into your heart? Even though that's a simple statement, there are doctrinal implications there. There are theological implications there. Have you received a savior into your innermost being so that he can begin to... Have you ever seen Demo Day on a home building show? Have you invited Jesus into that innermost being so that he can smash some walls? So that he can get into your innermost being and change what needs to change, tear down what needs to tear down, and build what needs built. It's why that is a church lingo. That is a church phrase. Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Because we recognize that in order for change to happen, it has to begin in the heart. Otherwise, we're just changing our behaviors and never experiencing what real transformation could be. When we ask Jesus into our hearts, I also want to say this. When we ask Jesus into our hearts, it isn't the end of a process, but it is the beginning. Amen? A healthy heart begins with inviting Jesus to reside in it. Do you want a healthy heart? Then it begins with asking Jesus into your heart. We don't invite Jesus in, and I also want to say this. We don't invite Jesus into our hearts so that he can rent there. 
We don't invite Jesus into our hearts to be, take up temporary residency only on Sundays. Come on, somebody. We ask Jesus into our heart because we want, him that, we want that to be the place where his spirit, where he, the Trinity, resides and takes up permanent residency. Amen? As we live for him and become obedient to him, our desires, our tendencies, our motivations, our attitudes, all are under his influence. And that's when we begin to experience real change. When you and I begin to pursue and be obedient to Scripture and pursue the things of God, little by little, he begins to say, I see those motivations and I'm going to change them. I see those desires, I'm going to change them. I see the way that you speak and I'm going to change that too. Everything. But it all begins in the heart. A healthy heart. I also want to say this. A healthy heart undergoes frequent self-examination. This is where we're going to be spending kind of the bulk of our time together this morning. A healthy heart undergoes frequent self-examination. Psalm chapter 138 verses 23 through 24 says this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I love the way that, that, that David finishes this psalm out. He says, search my heart. It's an invitation to self-examination. But then he ends it so beautifully. He ends it with an action. He says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me is an, inc an incredible request by David. He's saying, God, there may be things in my life which I am unaware of, and those things separate me from you. Those things cause trouble, and I want you to make me aware of those things so that we can correct them. Here's the difficult reality. By human nature, you and I, rather than preferring self-examination, you and I prefer self-deception. As humans, you and I, it is more comfortable for self-deception than it is self-examination. Allow me to elaborate, because you don't have any other choice because you're here. <laughs> the people online, they can turn me off, but you're stuck. Deceiving ourselves is easy and comfortable. The reason why self-deception is more comfortable than self-examination is because we want to believe ourselves better than what we actually are. We want to believe that we are better people than we actually are. We want to believe that our intentions are purer than they actually are. Are you hearing me this morning? Self-deception is more comfortable than self-examination. We want to believe that we are smarter than what we are. We want to believe that we are more ethical than what we really are. We want to believe that we are more mature than what we really are. We want to believe that we are more honorable than what we really are. But... The Holy Spirit directed us for self-examination. If you and I want to experience true transformation in Christ, we must go through, our heart must go through self-examination with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's got to happen. If you and I really want to grow in maturity and experience a relationship versus religion, come on somebody. If you and I want to experience a real relationship with Jesus that is real, that is thriving, that has life, where Jesus is so real to you that he's as real as the person next to you. If you and I want to experience that, then we have got to be aware of the things that we are unaware of. 
Because it's those things, it's sin that we've normalized, it's corrupt character that we've normalized, and it's become a part of our everyday so much so that we are unaware, so our only response can be, search my heart, O Lord, and help me get rid of these things that are separating me from you that I'm not even aware of. We're more comfortable with being self-unaware. And I want to say that, I, I can't say that enough. As a culture, right now, it is trendy to believe that we are more honorable than what we are. That's why we come up with stupid things like social justice. Because social justice is a falsehood of righteousness. Whatever God creates, Satan tries to create a counterfeit. And that's what social justice is. Is it's saying, God, we don't need your justice. We're going to be our own. But the only way to really deal with the things that hinder us, hurt us, and keep us spiritually immature, the only way to take care of those tendencies in us that make it harder for God to communicate to us because we're blocking him out, the only way to be aware of those things is to undergo deep heart self-examination. After all, how do I seek to be saved from something if I don't need that I need saved from it? That's why the psalmist's heart in this passage is so incredible. It's incredible that David realized this and said, search me. And then he follows it up by saying, after this process, God, after you search my heart, after you make me aware, lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Self-unawareness, and I, can I be real this morning? Okay. We're going to work on this again. <laughs> Can I be real this morning, church? Like I said, you're doing the work of 150 people this morning. So if I'm being real, self-unawareness scares me to death. It scares me to death because it means that the things that hinder me from God, the things that I might even get frustrated with, the things that I say, you know, and in, in conversation with my wife, when I say, you know what drives me nuts, and then whatever follows, I could be doing. Yeah. Self-unawareness scares me to death because it means that I think that I am right when I am in fact not. It means that I think that I'm going in the right direction, and what's even scarier is if pride is entered into the mix. Yeah. Because now, not only do I think that I'm right, but I'm stopping you from correcting me. That terrifies me. And unfortunately, it's the norm in our culture. Because we not only say, these are my convictions and beliefs, but we add pride on top of it. We say, you don't have a right to speak against them, even if they're wrong. Self-unawareness scares me. It means that the thing in which I personally despise the most, I very well might be doing. Some scary examples of self-unawareness that I stole from a psychology article. Psychology article gives us a few examples of being self-unaware and personality types that are self-unaware. This might sting, by the way. 
The article says this, often those that are most confident about their skills and their abilities, their accomplishments, their history of success leads them to believe that they are above criticism. Therefore, they won't accept criticism or light feedback of how they could have improved. Their response is to discuss their qualification, which means that they are more confident in their abilities. And often this leads them to suffer the most from severe insecurity. Then there's another personality type called the self-unaware control freak. Love that. A trait of being a control freak means that you probably have a difficult time yielding to authority because in your mind you could do a better job. Your ideas are higher so that when somebody says that they are a control freak, what they are actually saying is I'm rebellious towards authority and I want it done my way. We're not done yet. Then there's the... Then there's the dramatic. Those that claim, I quote-unquote hate drama, or I quote-unquote do not do drama, this person probably causes the most drama. Because they believe that they stand up for themselves and seek to stop drama abruptly, what they are actually doing in that moment is creating drama. So when somebody says, I quote-unquote do not do drama, what it actually means is I start drama and then leave the situation. Self-unaware is terrifying to me. The reality is this. I've seen people and incredible leaders crumble because of self-deception in their life was more comfortable than self-examination. I've seen too many leaders crumble because the very things that they proclaimed I do not do and I am against were the very things that they did. And as a matter of fact, just like we talked a little bit ago, there was a shield of pride that said I could not possibly be doing the very thing that I say that I am against. Can I challenge you this morning? Can we do that? Entertain the possibility The things that irritate you, we could be doing. I'm going to move on quickly because I don't want to stay here anymore. Thanks, Jack. If you desire growth, if you desire to take care of the things that you are unaware of, but God sees them, before seeking the counsel of other mature believers, before seeking out a group of people to help, seek God in his word first. Seek God in his word first and ask him the question. Search my heart. And allow him to reveal things in your heart that could actually be pulling you away from him rather than drawing you near to him. The only way to be saved from self-deception and guided in the way of true life is by inviting and welcoming divine examination. The only way to be saved from self-deception is to invite the Holy Spirit into your life and ask the question, search me, O Lord. So would you do me a favor? Now that we have kind of an understanding on a deeper level of this scripture, and for those of you online as well, if you would do this with me, can we read this out loud together, this scripture again? Psalm 138, would you read it with me? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Let's pray for just a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that these wouldn't just be meaningless words that we read, but they would be the way of life in which we live by. Lord, I pray that it would be an everyday practice. Every, I pray that it would be an every time we pray practice to begin our prayer life by, of course, glorifying you, but then also saying, search me, O Lord. Lord, I just pray this morning for clean hearts. Would you take whatever's in our hearts that's been occupying space that should be dedicated to you? Help us to be aware of those things, whether they're attitudes, motivations, whatever it may be that we've been deceiving ourselves. Lord, make us aware so that we can grow closer to you and lead us in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, We need self-examination to combat the spiritual deception that is rampant in our culture. We should examine ourselves in light of truth being revealed to us through Scripture. I want to say that again. We should examine ourselves in light of the truth being revealed to us in Scripture. So what does that mean? That means that every time you and I read Scripture, every time we read a biblical passage, that we turn around and say, what needs to change in me so that this can be applied? That's what it means to measure ourselves in light of Scripture. It means that we're not just reading down Scripture and saying, oh, that's really cool, and putting it down. But we're pausing for a moment and saying, God, what from this passage might be in me that needs adjusted? We should examine ourselves in light of the truth being revealed to us from Scripture. It allows God's Word to convict and change us. How many of you know that this book isn't just a book? Come on, somebody. And it's not just a history book. I've read those. It's, they're very interesting. I love American history. History is great. But can I tell you that a history book has never done for me what this book does? There's a difference there. When we begin to read a history book, it's about facts. And yeah, we can learn from them. But whenever we look at God's word, come on somebody. And we begin to apply his word to our lives, it changes everything. It's amazing because as I've said before, as we read God's word, it reads us. We, we, we read his word and come to the realization, man, I'm not doing that. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Have, you ever been, have you ever read the book of Proverbs? Yeah. That's a lot of self-examination going on there. When we read scripture and say, I think I need to work on that, I want you to pause in those moments and pay attention to that. Because that's the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder and saying, ah, don't skim over that. Let's work on this a little bit. And just to be clear, we allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts because the purpose of heart examination is to be led to repentance. The purpose in heart examination is to be led to repentance. Do you know what the word repentance means? It means a changing of mind. And not just, you know, a 360. It means a 180. A complete change, I think in a new way, as Paul said. And I don't know what think as a child. Come on. It means I've changed. I've done a 180. I've turned away from those things that prohibited me. That's the heart of repentance, a turning, a changing away, a changing of mind. The purpose of heart examination is for the sake of being led to repentance, to change. The result of David... Doing this, allowing God to work on his heart, saying, search my heart. The result of this is David earned a very interesting reputation. His heart went through so much change that David 
earned the reputation, David, a man after God's own heart. His heart had been so influenced by the Lord that it literally, he himself earned the reputation of man. His heart is, is so changed that it's like he's, he's a man after God's. It's like there's a mirror. He's trying to get God's heart in him to reflect to the culture. How many of you want to mind a reputation like that? That person, they're just, they're after the things of God. They pursue the things of God. They're always changing. They're always growing. They're always maturing. Every time I talk to them, it's like they're a new person. How many of you want that reputation? Acts chapter 13, verse 22, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, the son of Jesse. Here it is, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Some may say, yeah, but David had moral failures, and you wouldn't be wrong or incorrect in saying that, but I also want to say this. His response to every moral failure was always a genuine repentance. On the good days, David ran after God's heart. On the bad days, David ran after God's heart. A changed heart leads to a changed life. There's so many who are missing out on a changed life because they haven't allowed the Lord to change their heart. They haven't allowed him into their innermost being, their motivations, their desires. They haven't allowed him to saturate those things. And I can't wait in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about spiritual health, inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives and what it looks like to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so excited for that, but I just have to say that if you want real change and transformation, or maybe you've attended church before and you say, you know, I've done the religion thing. Yeah, but have you done the change thing? Yeah. Have you experienced change and transformation? A changed heart leads to a changed life. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27 says this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and keep me careful excuse me, and be careful to keep my laws. Can I say that this is a prophetic word for acts? This was a prophetic word spoken hundreds, if not thousands of years before the book of Acts, before the New Testament church met in the upper room, was baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to go and do ministry. This was a prophetic word. God said, I'm going to put my spirit, Holy Spirit, in you, in your life, to where all of you have access. And what's it going to do? It's going to help you follow my ways. A changed heart leads to a changed life. God says in this passage, I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I want to focus on that just for the, the short amount of time that we have remaining together this morning. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. There's something so significant about this passage that we often just kind of skim over and say, yeah, heart of stone, heart of flesh, cool, got it, good. But look at the contrast between the two for a moment. A heart of stone, stone has no emotion. It has no thought, it has no intellect, it can't really be moved on its, it doesn't move by its own, you have to go and pick it up. It doesn't know its worth. A stone has no warmth, no comfort. There's nothing really appealing about it. It's cold, it's unmoved, no emotion, it's an object. 
It's hard. There's no affection. There's no emotion. There's no connection. A heart, a stone, it just kind of exists. It's just there. But then you have flesh. Flesh feels deeply. Flesh senses warmth. Flesh responds to emotion. Flesh represents that there is life there. Flesh responds to feelings inside. Have you ever gotten goosebumps? Flesh is a state of being. It's a state of humanity. It's a state of knowing your worth. It's a state of purpose. Here, now, alive. God is revealing and he's saying, listen, he's revealing a problem that we have in the church of America today. And that's a heart of stone. Have you ever met somebody that seems cold towards the gospel? Unmoved. Unshaken. There's no emotional response. It's just kind of, I'm here. Stuck. Why is this? Because there's no desire to invite Jesus into their hearts and experience real change. And that'll make your heart grow cold and stony very quick. Their heart is a stone as a result of not having a desire to have a changed heart. And the sad reality is that those who have a heart of stone don't even know it. They're self-unaware. But God says, I can replace your heart and give you a heart that is responsive to me. Worship team, would you come? God says, I'm going to take that heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart that senses me that feels the spiritual reality of me, a heart that feels shame towards sin and feels glory towards holiness. God says, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, a heart that senses Christ being lifted up as the primary priority in one's life and a heart that will celebrate this as a response, a heart that knows its worth because it has met its maker, a heart that desires change and experiences change because the person has offered their heart to the Lord and desires it. A heart of flesh yields to a new way of thinking, a new way of valuing life, and a new way of life as a whole. A heart of flesh is sensitive to the things that God values. A heart of flesh is sensitive to the things of God, that God values. Whenever we showed that Ukraine video, did something inside of you move? It's those moments when we understand that I've got a heart of flesh now. I see a need, I see something broken in our country, in my town, in my county, in my state, and there's something inside of me that wants to help. If you don't have that kind of response, then friend, I believe that you have succumbed to a heart of stone. But when there's something inside of you that says, there's got to be a better way, I need to do something. It's the fact that a heart of flesh is sensitive to the things that God values. God values healing broken people. God values meeting human need. That's part of why we're having missionaries come in next Sunday and speak, because the heart of God is missions-minded. God cares about the lost. Last year, I was so thrilled that we were able to take on, I mean, five to six new missionary couples. That's incredible. My goal at the beginning of the year, I was like, okay, two. And God said, I'll give you six. This year, I would love it if we could take on five or six more. Why? 
Because a heart of flesh is sensitive to the thing that God values. And here as a church, we understand that God values missions. All of this deeply impacts our lives as a whole, which validates this point that I've already said, and I just want to reiterate it. A changed heart leads to a changed life. This is why it is critical that we allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts, that we take care of those things that we are unaware of. A heart of flesh compels us to be obedient to the Word of God and do the will of God. Lastly, a heart of flesh compels us to be obedient to the Word of God and do the will of God. We as a church have to focus on so much more than behavior modification. Can I hear a good amen? We've got to allow God to do what He does And how many of you know that God is in the business of transformation? God is in the business of changing hearts. A heart of flesh, I close with this, a heart of flesh is a healthy heart. This morning, again, I just wanted to have a conversation about what a healthy heart looks like. And I want to ask you the question, is your heart healthy this morning? I will be the first to admit that one self-deception is way more comfortable than self-examination. It is way more comfortable to believe that I have it all together. But how many of you know that we're, we're lying? We're lying to ourselves if we believe that. It's part of the reason why we have church. You know why we have church? Because we're all messed up and we all need a savior. It's why we get along. I love the quote that says, a church is not a museum for the righteous. It is a hospital for the broken. We we meet here together as an acknowledgement of, I am not self-deceiving myself. I have issues, and I need him to take care of them. And I will be the first to admit that in this political climate, political is my crib tonight. I'm telling you, two minutes of the news in this heart is a cement factory. I am like, I'm done. God, come back now. Usher in Armageddon, whatever you want to do. And I start getting bitter. But then there's the Holy Spirit. And he begins to tap me on the shoulder. And humbles me. And he says, before you pray for God to come back, why don't you talk about the six plus billion people who have never heard my name? What about them? Okay, God. And it's in those moments where I understand and I'm self-aware that my heart has become stony. I've put down some gravel and God needs to come in and do what he does best. Would you stand with me this morning, church? I believe that this morning that God wants to soften our hearts, whether you're here on the church property or joining us online, it's what he does. And I believe that God wants to soften our hearts this morning. And all you have to do to receive a new heart is ask Jesus to reside in it. But I also want to say this. All you have to do to turn from self-deception to self-awareness is ask him to reveal those things in your life. It's all you have to do is exactly what David did, just saying, search me, O Lord. But here's here's the key component in all of this. You have to be willing to admit that you need his help. 
You have to be willing to admit that there are things in your character. Let's just real quick, let's just get us on a level playing field for a moment. Can we all agree that people are very difficult? Yes? Can we all agree that people give us headaches? Can we all agree that people frustrate us? What are you? Amen. We are people. We are humans. We are difficult to deal with. We have tendencies in us that need to change. We have attitudes that need adjusted. But friend, that change is going to be, it's going to have a shelf life if all you do is change the behavior. If all you do is act good for a while, but you don't allow Christ to compel you into holiness, it's going to have a shelf life and you're going to go back to the same stony, miserable person as before, just being honest. But if you really mean it and you say, God, examine my life, then what he does is he gives you his partner, the Holy Spirit, which helps us live according to his law motivates us. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit puts something called desire in your heart. Have you ever struggled to do your devotions? Yeah, me either. That's a... Have you ever struggled to do your devotions? Me too. It's in those moments where the Holy Spirit says, I know you don't feel like it, but let's do this. It's that desire. The only way that you and I are going to experience real change is if we allow the Lord, the Holy Spirit to transform our innermost being, our hearts. But friends, we have to be aware that there are things that need changed. Because if you and I live in a self-unaware state, we're never going to experience it. Would you bow your heads with me? And would you do this? Would you just begin to ask God, and if you're comfortable, and I'm sorry, if you're new with us, one of the things that we do is we lift our hands because it exemplifies an outward expression of an inward experience. And outwardly, we're saying, God, take my heart, take my life. So if you're comfortable, I'm not trying to guilt anybody into doing it, but if you're comfortable, can you do me a favor? Would you just picture your heart, those behaviors that have been weighing you down, those attitudes, those things that need change. I want you to picture them being in the palms of your hand. Would you do that? Would you put your palms out like you're, you're getting ready to take something? Put them out and just begin, I want you to just ask the Lord, Lord, search my heart. What are those things in my life? And I want you to just begin to picture him putting those things in the palm of your hands, those attitudes, that bitterness, that hurt, that person that caused you hurt in your life. Maybe it's been decades, maybe it's been years, but that hurt in your life, maybe it's a fatherhood wound, a motherhood wound. Somebody said something to you that left scars and it's been bleeding into your character. Maybe it's a situation that you had high hopes for and it didn't turn out perfectly like you wanted it to. And now you're just kind of weighed down. Maybe it's just the frustration of the world. Whatever it is, I want you to just picture it being in your hands. And here's what I want you to do next. As you begin to just say, search my heart, O Lord, as you begin, as he begins to reveal those things in your life that need changed, as he begins to identify those and you're putting them in your hands, I want you to do this next thing. I want you to just lift them up high and say, God, they're yours. In your own words, whether you're online or in person, I want you to do this. It might feel funny for those who are online and you're in front of your TV. Come on, make, make your living room, make your area a sanctuary right here, right now in this moment. And just begin to say, God, take it. Search me, O oh Lord. These things that you've identified in our hearts, God. Lord, I didn't speak whatever these individuals are holding in their hands. I didn't speak it. I didn't call their name. You did. 
And so, God, I just pray that right here, right now, that you would begin to lead each and every one of us in the way everlasting, which is your way. Lead us, Lord. Soften our hearts. Take the stone and give us a heart of flesh, I ask. And Lord, I pray that what we're experiencing right now, right here, whether it's online or in person, this moment of of repentance, this moment of saying, God, I need changed, that this action would become an action, a habit in our daily lives. Help us to undergo, (laughs) undergo spiritual and heart examination every day so that every day we can come closer to earning that reputation a man and woman after God's own heart. Lord, I pray that as we conclude this service, that this spiritual health wouldn't conclude, but we would continue to walk in this way, undergoing frequent self-examination. Help us. We understand that the devil comes to deceive us, and sometimes we do his job for him. And so God, help us to never be self-deceived, but to give it all to you. We ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said... And everybody shouted, amen, amen, amen. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.